0: many of you guys had questions throughout the book of Revelation. Many of them, or actually all of them are good. I never think there's a bad question, especially if the intention is pure. Nevertheless, um, many of our questions have been stirred up from this series. And we've learned many things about what life is like coming to the near future here on earth. But what's interesting is what will life be like when we go from this earth to the new heaven and the new earth? And mainly, what's going to happen with our relationships? Is God going to waste the relationship that we had with the spouse or our kids or our friends? And I don't think God wastes anything. Anything. But one of the questions is, one of the questions is, is there marriage in heaven? Now, to help us understand that, we have to understand what marriage is, right? What is marriage? Marriage, biblically speaking, could potentially just be whittled down to three areas and, of, cur- of course, more, right? Companionship, procreation, and a reflection of his covenant. So do I believe that there is marriage in heaven? I do. but it's probably not the type of marriage that you want. So I've given you the end of the sermon already. Um, let's first look at the first area that I believe marriage is: companionship. This companionship is to be able to uh, yeah, companionship is to be able to accomplish what God has put before us here in this life. We needed a companion to be able to accomplish the things that God has for us. So Genesis 2:18 It is not good for man to live alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. This is interesting, right? This is the first time that God saw something throughout Scripture, and it wasn't good. You guys remember? In the beginning, he created, and it was good. And then he created, and it was good. And then he created, it was good. And then he created man, and what was man? Very good. So there was a distinction between everything that he created, and then when he created us, it was very good. But then now, this is the first time that it hasn't been good or very good since the creation of this. It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So husbands, you needed a helper suitable for you. So, You did. You do. I do. Women, hey, you better slow down because I'm going to get you here in a little bit anyways. One person suggested this, that some of the wildest, most violent, sociopathic men have always been single. Now, it doesn't mean if you are single, (laughs) it doesn't mean if you are single, this is who you are. What this author was suggesting is that these men were never under the plan that God gave to influence men for good. They were saying that God provided a companion to help navigate life and situations in the vision that God gave. So I thought that was interesting. Men, your wife is here to influence you for good. You need a companion. But wives, this doesn't mean everything you say or do is godly. Men, amen? Amen. (laughs) Not everything. Women play a role as companion, but it doesn't mean that everything that women do is godly. But what's interesting here is within this companionship, is God gave Adam the vision? Genesis 2, 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God com- uh, commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So what ends up happening is God gives Adam the vision. Adam receives the vision. And then what God recognized is Adam needed a suitable helper to walk out this vision. God knew that Adam Adam needed a companion. He couldn't do this alone verse 19 Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But Adam, but for Adam no suitable helper was found. So God's putting him on this mission to find a suitable companion to help him walk out the vision that was just given. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Take care of it. Work it. Just don't eat from this one tree. Right? So what did God do? He allowed Adam to name all the birds and bring all the animals before him and give them all names. To see that there was no suitable companion for him, he also exhausted Adam, naming all of these creatures so that it would prepare him for the gift of a wife. Verse 21 So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. We're not uh, for sure why God created Eve out of Adam's rib. Yet there's a lot of postulation that has taken place through many theologians, right? Maybe it's to remind us um, that they're one. Maybe it's to remind them of their oneness, right? Right? Now, um, they could be extremely different, so Eve's different, but yet, even though they're extremely different, they're still um, extremely similar and the same. We also know that the bride of Christ comes from the wound in the side of the second Adam, which is Jesus. Um, God knew that we would need a companion, though. So what did he do? He created something that we needed. He created something that was important for us. Now, here's what's important for us is because God knew that we needed a companion, Proverbs 18, 22 says this, that he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Many of us pray for favor, Many of us pray for gifts, many of us uh, pray for provision, and many of us who are married forget, as men, about Proverbs 18. If you're married, you have something good, and you receive favor from the Lord, amen? Women, you should be hitting your guys right now. Bay is the only man in here that said Amen. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Amen? Amen? If not, next week we are skipping grace and going straight to an 18-week marriage class. <laughs> we were created for companionship. And God, with Adam, recognized that he needed a companion. And there was not a suitable, uh, a suitable companion. So he created Eve. So this is what we see, that there was man and then there was woman, and then they were to come together to accomplish the vision through companionship to honor Christ. Then we see that marriage is about procreation. We see this in Genesis 118. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. And Genesis 9-1, then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. So there was this idea that marriage is about procreation, bringing others into this life. So when God told Adam and Eve to procreate, they were the first two humans in the world. They were created male and female. This means that their bodies were designed for union and childbearing. Talking about the birds and the bees today. Procreation was paramount because God wanted humans to fill the earth and to subdue it. God's plan was for um, human seed to grow through their participation. God wants participation from his church, amen? Amen. How does the gospel spread? Through the church's partic- participation, through discipleship, through sharing his word. How does, his, how does God's seed spread? Through our participation in honoring him. So what God told Adam and Eve, to, yeah, to procreate, right? He wanted two humans to start this. So procreation was paramount. But what we need to understand is not only is procreation paramount, but childbearing is a blessing from God. Psalms 127, 3-5. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man who quiver, whose quiver is full of them they will not uh, be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Now, the act of procreation is for those who are married, right? We understand that. But God blesses all life. Now, the reason why procreation is intended for um, those who are married is because it tightens the bond of the couple. Now, there's this illustration that I've heard of where um, this youth leader took a piece of duct tape, the really, really good duct tape, right? Not the cheap stuff. And what he did is he had some duct tape, and uh, he had several youth come up and stand on the stage. And he had them roll up their sleeves, but they were probably already in tank tops too because all kids are punks, right? So the kids' tattoos and hair was already showing. And what he did is, is is he... took the tape, and he put it on the first kid's arm. And then what he did is he said, that's on there pretty tight. And then he made sure it was really tight, right? And it was on there really good. And then the youth leader ended up yanking the duct tape off. And, of course, it pulled whatever hair the kid had on his arm off. And he screamed and, you know, probably overdid it a little bit. So now this kid's overreacting. Then he took that same piece of duct tape and he put it on the next kid. Put it on him, tightened it on there the best that he could, pulled it off, and it pulled less hair. And then he put it on the next kid. And then the next kid. And by the fourth kid, it won't even stick. And what the youth leader was sharing with the kids is look, Sex is intended to bond you to your partner. But the more times that you sex and release and try to tie yourself to another person, the bonding method that was intended is no longer there. So the act of procreation or practicing procreation is intended to create a bond between male and female. Amen? Now, not knowing the congregation's activities, right? Hoping, I do. (laughs) But not knowing. Not knowing everyone's past. Um, Here's what we know is God can restore all things. Amen? Amen? When we, when we participate in repentance, God can restore and renew and give hope into those areas. So there's forgiveness there. But pro- procreation was a reason um, that he created us. And he wanted us to be bonded together as a couple. And this is a gift to be able to partake in this action. Proverbs 5 tells us to rejoice in our spouse and to be captivated by their love. If you guys know what Proverbs 5 says, I was just a little um, embarrassed to read that today. Mark knows. Anyone else know what Proverbs 5 says? Turn to Proverbs 5 right now and begin to read it, and I would like to watch your response. Let's try that real quick. This will be a fun activity. Because God tells us to rejoice in our spouse and be captivated by their love. Raise your hand when you get there. We should have the youngest person in here begin to read it. Just start reading all of it. Hopefully I'll get some of the giggles. So God wants us to be captivated by our spouse. And by captivated, he, he wants us to participate in this fulfillment of enjoyment. Anyone there yet? Yeah. Song of Solomon, certainly, Mark. (laughs) All right. So I think we're there. You get the point. Drink water from your own cistern, running waters from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the street, or in the streets, your streets of water in the public squares... Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may, your, uh, may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Y'all made me read it. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom, bosom, bosom of the wayward woman? Hey. <laughs> For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and He examines all your paths. God wants us to enjoy our spouse. Amen. Procreation is paramount, but the act of procreation is intended to bring us together and to increase in number. The next thing, the reflection of his covenant. God would often use imagery of marriage when he referred to his relationship with Israel. God used Hosea as an example of marriage and how God would go to great lengths to redeem his people. Marriage serves as a representation of laying down your life and covenant for one another. If you've been married for any length of time, you learn, you learn that um, It is a great sacrifice, and it it is a great call to lay down your life in sickness and in health, in good times and in bad times. So marriage serves as a representation of God's covenant to you and I. And here's what I know about God's covenant to you and I, is he hasn't broken it, and he hasn't given up on any of us, amen? Amen. So there's no greater love than to lay down one's life, John 15. The sacrificial love of Christ should be reflected in marriage, and we see that in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wife like Christ loves the church, and then wives, submit to your husbands. Now, that word within the modern-day culture of women submitting to their wives um. Hus- women's- women submitting to their husbands. Sorry. Modern day culture of women, bosoms, women submitting to their wives. I mean, you're at least listening today. Of women submitting to their husbands, that idea, that idea is not something that our culture deals with well. The idea of submission. Now, what is submission? I think some of the reasons why submission um, to your husbands has not been dealt with well is number one, because of sin of bad husbands. Husbands have ruled over their wives in ways that... um, The Bible does not talk about. Other reasons why is from the beginning of time, Eve desired to rule over Adam according to Scripture. So there's also this frustration within women wanting to sometimes be the head and men trying to be the head and then men saying, hey, submit to me, woman. And uh, women are like, you don't tell me what to do. And then we get in this crazy cycle, right? But Submission is often stressed in the Bible for women to submit to their husbands. And this is for many different reasons. Um, I do mainly see this as an example of the bride of Christ submitting to him. So just as women are told to submit to their husbands, From a biblical standpoint, I am the bride of Christ. So what am I supposed to do to him? As the bride of Christ, I'm supposed to submit to him. So um, women are not the only ones who are called to submit. Submission is often just stressed as the women's role, but the husband and the wife should take a servant attitude and submit to each other, amen? Philippians 2 Um, emphasizes this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Such Christ-like love is not easy. And it goes against the ideas that have been built on a worldly marriage. There's this lust type of worldly marriage that has been presented. There's the Cinderella story There's um, all these romantic comedies that we've watched. And then what happens is the world then says, that's what my marriage should look like. But a Christ-like marriage goes against um, what the world says a marriage is. I heard a pastor recently say, um, he's been married for um, probably 30 years, He said that in his premarital counseling, the counselor was telling, uh, talking, or counseling, I guess, the future wife and the future husband. And he asked the pastor, he said, hey, um, I know that you guys have been fighting often, but the question is this. You're going to fight with someone for the next 60 years? The question is whether you want to fight with her or not. And what he was saying is marriage is going to be tough. Marriage is going to be challenging. So to think that just because you guys are arguing in your premarital counseling, just because you're arguing doesn't mean that you're not going to be successful. Because in marriage, you have ups and you have downs. You have good seasons and you have not so good seasons. In a lot of life, what ends up happening is because of sanctification, you're getting rid of the impurities in your life and that's hard with a partner. Amen? So as we commit to one another through our mess, we become a reflection of his covenant. When we commit through the thick and the thin and we forgive and restore And here's the thing, he doesn't require us to be perfect to have a relationship with him, but yet sometimes we require our spouse to be perfect, to have a free relationship with us. And what he's telling us is if we reflect him in our marriage, our spouse isn't going to be perfect. But even when they're not perfect, we're always going to be sacrificial like he was sacrificial for us. Marriage can make you happy, but more than it can make you happy, it will make you holy if you submit to Christ. One author said that uh, marriage is the school of character and sanctification. So marriage is to reflect his covenant for procreation and companionship. And when often we, when we look at marriage, we often look at simply just the companionship aspect. I want to keep this companionship for the rest of time. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But that's often where our focus is. It's not always about making us holy. It's not always about accomplishing what God has put before us. It's usually just, I love this person. I care for this person. I want to be with them forever. But there is marriage in heaven. And this isn't a major Bible talked about in the Bible, um, or biblical, yeah, this isn't a major topic in the Bible other than us being the bride of Christ. That is a huge theme throughout the Bible. But when it comes to our physical earthly marriages, it's not a big topic. But I do believe that there is marriage in heaven. But I do not believe it is the marriage that you and I are hoping for. I do not believe that there is physical marriage between, I do not believe that Macy and I will be married in heaven. Uh, I, I wish there was, right? I wish it was that. I remember having a conversation uh, right after I got out of high school with a couple who was five, six years married. And uh, we went and watched a basketball game together and we were talking about this. And my thought was, well, why would God ever create something that then doesn't have purpose in heaven? And uh, we're going to get to that. Um, I believe that the marriage in heaven will be you and I being married to the King of Kings as his bride but we will not be married with our spouse from earth. Earth one, right? There is an earth two. Isn't that neat? For those um, people who have earth one and earth two, there is, I got a few smiles. The rest of you like, I have no clue what you're talking about. So where do I get the idea from? Where do I get the idea that we're not married in heaven? We can find some ideas threaded throughout the Bible, but Matthew 22, 22. Uh, 3 through 33. The same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for her. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died. And since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and third brother, right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be um, of the seven? Since all of them were married to her, Since, uh, or Jesus replied, you are an heir because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowd, crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teachings. So the Sadducees, who were often missing the point, are missing the point here again in the book of Matthew. They missed that the, reality of the resu- they missed the reality of the resurrection. And they missed that God can create a much better world than they can ever imagine. So what they were thinking is the best world that they could ever imagine is to have marriage the way that we have it here. And they missed that God can create a far better world. And I ask us that question today. Do we trust that God can create a far better world for us in heaven? Do we believe that? So today on earth, people marry and people are given in marriage. And yet those who are written in the book of life do not go to heaven married. They go to, mar- they go to heaven um, as children of God. The book of Luke says it this way. Luke 20, 34 through 36 Jesus replied, The people of this age marry and are given in marriage. Um, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children since they are children of the resurrection. So what the Sadducees were missing was that life in the resurrection is significantly different from life in this age. Life in heaven, life in the new heaven and in the new earth will be significantly different than life that we are experiencing here on earth, and the Sadducees were missing that. Life in the age of the resurrection or in heaven is not just a continuation of this life in this world, but is a, it is a completely different, renewed life. And this means that it'll be different than what we know it as now. Some pieces will remain the same, Many things will be different. And that's why they say, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry or be given in marriage. Things will be different is what Jesus is saying. He's trying to share with them, heaven will look different than what it looks now. So for us to understand this a little bit more, uh, Jesus describes three things in this passage. He says this, They cannot die anymore. They are equals to angels and they are children of God. This is helping explain to us why we will not be married in heaven because we cannot die anymore. We are uh, equals to angels and we are children of God. So, first, let's look at they cannot die anymore. You and I cannot die anymore. The Sadducees underestimated God's power to raise up from the, raise us up from the dead and give us new bodies. Um, we will not be subject to sin and death anymore. But at that time, people were. So Jesus says that in the resurrection, we will be like angels, and this is a, a two aspects. So we're like angels that we will not marry and that we will not die. Angels are not married and angels did not die. When Jesus is making this statement that they cannot die anymore, he's helping us see that the immortality of life is replaced um, at the resurrection. We cannot die anymore. It is replaced with an imperishable life that will last forever. Paul uh, reiterates this in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 55. "When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the uh, immortality, then, or immortality, then the saying that is written will come true: Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, oh, death, is your sting? So what Jesus is sharing with the Sadducees is, hey, look, people aren't going to die anymore in heaven. In the new life, you're going to live forever and ever and ever. So, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? We're going to live forever, amen? Jesus has defeated those things. So we are we have been given this life for eternity. So they cannot die anymore. They will be equal to angels. Those who go to heaven will be like angels, simply meaning they are eternal. Also meaning they will not procreate. Angels in heaven are not procreating. When God created the heavens and the earth. He created the angels that he created, right? And when he created them, there was a certain number of them. That same number of angels are here today. Not one more, not one less. So let's not get confused, right? They do not procreate. So there's the same, and what... Jesus is saying, look, you're going to be equal to them. You're going to live forever. You're not going to procreate anymore. Now, this doesn't mean, don't get confused, that at the resurrection, what's not being said here is that we become angels. When we die, we do not go to heaven and become these spirits that float around with wings. Amen? We learn that through the book of Revelation that that is not true. So they are equals to angels, meaning they don't die, they don't procreate, but yet they are children of God. Jesus tells the Sadducees that those who are in heaven will be children of God. This implication should be a core value of our life. What dictates your day, what dictates your actions, what dictates your job, what dictates everything that you do is that you are a child of God. To be a child of God is to experience the reality of his nearness, his security, his love, his patience, his mercy, his gentleness, his forgiveness, and his guidance. As children of God, we can be at peace because we have a good, good father. To be a child of God, we have the security of a father that loves us, that accepts us, and wants to know us personally and intimately. Angels have that. They get to know him personally and intimately. You and I get to be children of God as well. Or actually, we are explicitly different than them. We are children of God. John, or 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know know us is that it did not know him. What else could we ask for? You and I are children of God. In him, everything is met. Absolutely everything. One author shares this. I must be honest in saying that the thought of being celibate, like the angels, never used to get me excited about heaven. I often said to Marla, how can heaven be heaven if I can't be married to you? Being married to her is the best thing that's ever happened to me, except for my salvation. I was thinking about this in the context of Paul's words about marriage. He says with reference to the one flesh aspect of marriage that he isn't talking about marriage but rather about Christ in the church in Ephesians 5 it dawned on me that he's saying that the marriage relationship and especially the one flesh aspect of marriage is the closest earthly picture that we can have of our union with Christ which will be consummated in heaven I don't mean to be crude, but rather reverent when I say that if you think that marriage and particularly sex in marriage is wonderful, it's just an earthly picture of how much more wonderful it will be to be intimately joined to our heavenly bridegroom, Jesus Christ. You may have to take um, that by faith, but that's what God's word promises the conclusion of scripture would appear to be pointing towards this. Since there is no death in heaven, marriage will not be required to maintain its population. And as a result, Jesus says, of those coming to heaven, that they will neither marry nor are given in marriage. So, marriage It's created for companionship, for procreation, to be a reflection of him. And marriage in heaven is different because when we go to heaven, we can't die anymore, right? We're equals to angels, and we are children of God. Therefore, no more people are being added or subtracted. God's not using us to further his kingdom by procreating, right? We're going to be there forever. And the true marriage in heaven is between him and us. So a marriage in heaven, Isaiah 54, 5. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, and He is called the God of the earth. In heaven, we participate in a much greater wedding, the wedding of the marriage supper of the Lamb. We read that in Revelation 19. Jesus Christ has married the church. We are His bride, and we will participate in a wedding and marriage far more wonderful than our earthly relationships can create. So is that disappointing? I don't think so. Does that mean we shouldn't love our spouse now because what's the point? We're going to break up once we die. <laughs> it's not what it is. Um, there's some speculation. Some about what it means to become one and then what it might mean to be in heaven one day, right? There's also greater paths that we could journey um, journey together on. You and I are the body of Christ, amen? And since we are the body, then when we go to heaven one day, it's just one body. I really think what Jesus was pointing to is, look, um, you're worried about so many things that don't matter. What matters is I asked the question several weeks ago. Do you want, do you want to go to heaven to escape hell, or do you want to go to heaven because Jesus is there? And I ask you the same question today. Do you want to go to heaven because Jesus is there, or do you want to go to heaven because your family's there? I think both, right? But sometimes what we can make heaven about is just getting to see our family again. And I think what Jesus was rebuking and Jesus often rebuked throughout scripture is, I'm far better than anything else you can ever imagine. He was rebuking the Sadducees because they're making life after heaven in their picture when he's saying you're missing the point. So, do we, do we have a relationship with him well enough that we trust that what's next is going to be perfect? It's kind of heartbreaking, isn't it? It's kind of not the reality that you got married into. But we need each other to accomplish the will that he has put before us. Let's pray. Father, Father, um, Marriage is so valuable here and it's needed. You say that marriage is a gift. You say that we receive a, a good thing. You say that we need it to accomplish your will. Pray that we would find those gifts. Father, I pray that we would um, utilize those gifts to honor you. We wouldn't take advantage of the gift, Father. We wouldn't abuse it. But we would utilize the companionship that you've given us to further your kingdom. Not only in making disciples, Father, but procreation. I ask that you help us, um, help those marriages today who are in a crazy cycle. Those who are arguing and frustrated and mad at one another and can't get through a season. I pray your healing hand on that, Father. Father. I say you would bless us today in Jesus' name. Amen.